So I want to open up to these guys. Um, they're just going to share their story. And we're just going to talk about community and, and how an important part it plays. But before that, I just want to pray. Father, I thank you for this morning. Thank you that your spirit is here with us. I thank you that we get to dwell together in freedom. But Lord, that you are doing something new here in this place. And Lord, we just open our hearts right now. Lord, would you create good soil for us this morning? Lord, good soil for us to receive the words of what you are saying to us, Holy Spirit. Lord, would you just uh, anoint our words as we share this morning, anoint Ron and Ryan this morning, Lord, for what you want to say. In Jesus' name, and everyone said, Amen. Amen. Okay, Ron, tell me a bit about you and your story. Well, um, when you go to an NA meeting, the first thing you say is, I'm Ron and I'm an addict, but through the blood of Christ, I'm so much more. Amen. Amen. but anyway, I, I'm a 54-year-old 50, guy that lives in the city mission. And um, I was, uh, just a little bit about myself, I was raised in the Central Assembly of God Church in, in Houston. I grew up um, youth groups, Bible studies, and uh, I have two great parents, two great brothers. Um, but um, I thought a lot of, that it was just emotion and not a relationship, you know? You go to a youth group and you come home on fire, but soon the fire goes out if you don't fan the flame. And um, so I I walk through life always trying to fulfill from the outside in and not the inside out. And um, I was a 500 pound guy. I was always the fat kid when I was- 500 pounds? I was a big boy. Add us all together, that's us, that was me. (laughs) We'd have to put three of the chairs up here for me to sit. <laughs> but uh, anyway, um, my process of addiction started. I had, I think, I was an addict my whole life. I was addicted to food and um, and uh, trying to always quench a hole that I, I never could fill. You know, um, I got married. I have two beautiful kids. My sons a Carnegie Mellon grad, my daughter's a Pitt grad, and uh, unfortunately I'm not married anymore, but that's a, a different story. But uh, relationship, I've, my son and I have been able to reconnect, and my daughter still doesn't speak with me, and I'm a grandfather, and I have a four-year-old grandson I've never met, but that doesn't mean I won't meet. Yes, um, come on. So I'm pretty excited about that process. but. I, um, I was a general manager of a car dealership for 29 years, and I, I had a lot of wonderful things that, until I lost everything, I realized how poor I was. Uh, you know, I'm more rich now with nothing than I was with everything. Yeah. Um, I was, um, I had a beautiful home in North Strabane that I pass when we go to meetings and I take a glance to the left and I say, it's just a house, yeah. you know, it's not a home, it's empty. Um, and I, people ask me where I live and I say, I'm at the city mission. And I used to say, I'm going to the mission, but now I just say I'm going home yeah. because I found a family of guys that are working through a process 
and I, it's not a process, it's a journey. You know, a process and, ending, and a journey is a journey. You know, there's a destination which is um, heaven at this point, you know, as we're going through this life. But uh, it was a very, I was a very lonely person my whole life. I, I, no matter how many people were around me, I was always feeling very alone. You know, and I would laugh and I would joke, but I would always feel very empty and very lonely. Um, um, when I had my surgery, I actually had, I got addicted to the pain medicine. And I was a very functioning addict, if you want to call it that. I always worked. I always took care of my family. I coached Little League, even at 500 pounds. I was very active in my family. Um, but there came a point where affording painkillers didn't work, so I, I turned to heroin. And uh, I became a heroin addict. Um, and that took me from being married to being alone. And uh, it was a very lonely place. And I was perfectly fine that if I put a needle in my arm and didn't wake up tomorrow, that would have been perfectly fine. I didn't want to be alive anymore. But I didn't have the guts to, keep, to take my own life, if that makes sense. Um, it was a very lonely, lonely place. And um, before I got to the mission, I was living in Cannonsburg in a little apartment. And um, I lost my apartment because I didn't pay my rent. And um, I got to the point where I couldn't do it alone anymore. I just could not go any further. And I remember walking down through Cannonsburg thinking that I'm the new homeless guy. Um, I remember as a kid, my brothers and I as kids, you know, we saw this one specific man and we would like kind of joke around, look, here comes John, the homeless guy. And I, it really hit me one day. I was walking down through Cannonsburg and I was the homeless guy, you know, using the bathrooms in Subway to wash my face, if that makes sense, and use the bathrooms and McDonald's, and um, I, um, I, I had enough. I have family, I have brothers that love me, I have a lady in my life that loves me, but I did not want to burden them with saying, can I live with you? That wouldn't have solved anything other than a place to live. Um, and I went to, into rehab for the sixth time, and um, I remember being in my room and I thought I was really losing my mind. I thought I was just crazy. I didn't, I admitted I had an addiction problem, but I thought I was crazy. And I remember going out to the desk and saying, could you just take me to a mental institute and just check me in because I think I'm losing it. And this lady just looked at me and said, why don't you just go back to your room, kneel down and pray and just shut up. And I said, wow. I looked at her. I said, that's kind of rude. Yeah. But anyway, I said, all right. She said, if you still feel that way tomorrow morning, we'll take you. And I, I remember going back to my room and just shaking my head. I said, you know, I, I tried that, but I never meant it, you know. And I went in, back into my room and I just, it was real simple. I just said, God, I can't do this anymore. I can't carry the burden. I can't carry the guilt and the shame anymore. And, and could you just take it? And it was that simple, you know? And um, the next morning I woke up and I didn't want to jump out the window. And um, I just really believed that that was the start of a, of a mind-altering, life-changing, heart-changing journey, you know? Wow. 
Um, people have said that addiction is a, is a disease of the mind. I believe it's a disease of the spirit and yeah. a disease of the heart yeah. because it's such a dark black place, uh, a black hopeless place. You know, you, you wake up and you, that's the only thing you think of is how am I not going to be sick today? And I was the guy that would walk around saying, how could you be so weak-minded that you would put a needle in your arm? Or how would you be so weak-minded that you would drink yourself to death? Then I, that was me. Um, and, and that's uh, how I used to tell my kids, you know, look at that addict. Look at that guy. You know, well, that was, it was, it was me, you know. And... I think sometimes my daughter looks at me as because I was such a judgmental person that that's why she's so judgmental to me. But that's okay, you know. Wow. Hearts change. Wow. Amen. But I got to the mission. I, I went through the 30-day rehab program, and, and they wanted to send me to a halfway house, which I did already <laughs> once and left four months in. And I knew that I just didn't need to be and I say these words beaten up with NA and NA and AA meetings all day. I needed some place where I could go to change my spirit. Yeah. I knew that's what I needed. I, I, and I didn't know where to go to do that. And um, I just, Doug Bush, one of the counselors, came in on Sundays at the, the rehab and we talked. All, he, he always spoke about the spiritual part of this program. And I was thinking, you know, people would say, get a higher power, whether it be a doorknob. And my higher power is not a doorknob. Um, Amen. I needed to know that there's something bigger Come on. out there than a doorknob. Yeah. And I'm not walking through this life alone. And um, someone suggested the city mission. And, um, and I'm thinking to myself, I'm going to a place where I'm going to sleep with 35 guys and people are going to steal my stuff. And I even know I didn't have any stuff. But... They were going to steal my gum or whatever because that's all I had. But um, I got there, and the first day I got there, there was a gentleman in the intake office by the name of Pete that said, this is a police of redemption yes. and yes. of love. Yes. And I was, like, blown away by that, you know. And I sat there, and I, I said, this is right where I'm supposed to be. Yeah. And... Um, the structure with the, with the Bible study, the um, chapel services and things like that um, was exactly what I needed. But more than that, it was about the relationship with Christ. You know, I could go to church and sit there in, in a service, but until I really believe that God is really who he says he is and that he could do what he says he does, and every time I read the Bible, there's nothing in there that says, I want you to fail. Trust me so you can fail. Trust me so I'm not going to forgive you, you know. Everything in there is telling me that he loves me more than anything in this world, and it's okay to be a failure. You don't have to be perfect. He didn't ask me to clean up and come. He just said, come, and I'll clean you up. And uh, that's what I did. And, you know, it's all about relationship. And if, when I'm in a relationship and I meet a guy, I want to get to know that person. Well, if I'm going to be in a relationship with Christ, I, got, I want to know who he is and who his true essence is. So the only way to do that is to pray and read. And that's what's made the difference in my life is just searching for who God really is and, and his true essence. And, it's, and, it, and that's what's made the world a difference in my life. And it's been a, a, an amazing journey. Someone told me that I used to always say, 
people would say, you have a story to tell, you need to tell it. And I'd say, well, I don't have an ending. Oh. A story has an ending. And this person said, well, if you wait until you, some, if you wait until the ending, you're going to be dead and someone else is going to tell your story. Uh. So I always had so much shame and guilt because of the things that I've done, you know, and I never wanted to admit to anybody that I had an addiction problem and I would hide that. And, and the hurt and pain that I caused my family was such a heavy burden. I could not, I couldn't look myself in the eyes. I couldn't, I couldn't smile in the mirror. And when I looked at that person, the person looking back at me, I hated more than anything. And when I look at myself in the mirror, I don't see the old me. I see the new man through Christ. Come and I'm on. just, you know, it's, it's a great place to be. It's a great point in my life. I had to lose everything to find everything, yeah. you know, and I'm just very blessed to be here. And thank you for letting me share. So we'll come back and visit some questions just in regards to that. But Ryan, can you tell us your story, please? Where are you from? What are you doing in Washington, PA? Uh, hello, I'm Ryan. Uh, I am originally from uh, the state of California, to answer that question. Uh, Tara, you've got a friend. A long way from home. <laughs> uh, uh, First of all, I'm, I'm really grateful to be here and have the opportunity to share today. Um, it's a beautiful facility and I, I really feel something powerful in this place. There's, a, there's an amazing energy here thank that um, there's something special about thank it. You. So thank you for having me. Thank you. Um, I don't like to dwell in the past as much as possible, but it is you know, convenient yeah. to reference it in, yeah. in some points. It did make me who I am today. Yeah. Uh, <clears throat> I was very blessed in my youth. I had a mother and father who loved me very much and were with me through all my formative years. Uh, we weren't wealthy, but we never uh, hurt for anything. I never had any needs that were not fulfilled. Uh, when I was six months old, I was enrolled in a private Christian school where my mother also worked. And I, she and I both remained at the same school until I was 18 years old. Wow. So practically from my birth till I graduated high school, I was a part of the same Christian program. Uh, I was a staff kid, so everybody knew who I was. I was very, I was very... Uh... Got it, yeah. sorry. <laughs> oh, there we are. You're not a audiovisual guy, come on. What? Oh, stab, stabs. <laughs> so um, I was definitely uh, raised in a Christian environment. A very, uh, I use the term, Cautiously, but I was indoctrinated in the Christian ideology and theology um, is the way I, I tend to phrase it. Uh, the reason I do so is because it, even though I was actively involved in church programs, I memorized Bible verses. Uh, every morning in elementary school, we would do the Pledge of Allegiance to the, the American flag, then the Christian flag, and then the Bible. Um, so there was a lot of protocol and... Uh, practices that we uh, that we did on a regular basis yeah. that didn't really connect with me. Yeah. There were moments where I felt something uh, within, something emotional or spiritual mm -hmm. during a, a service or whatnot, mm -hmm. um, but there was no real understanding. Mm -hmm. There was nothing, um, there were no practical applications in my life, wow. and there was nothing that I really identified with that I could call a belief of my own. So uh, there came a point, probably somewhere in high school, where I began asking questions 
that there weren't sufficient answers to. Um, I witnessed people in the community around me that would say one thing but not live that yeah. way, and that immediately turned me off to the, the institution of religion in, in general. Um, and with that decision to not accept it, I began uh, a, a path that took me on a completely different route than, than I initially set out on. My grades fell by the wayside, I got introduced to alcohol and parties, and all of a sudden I became popular and, uh, yeah. you know, I, I felt accepted and yeah. um, it, it, it filled a hole that, I, that Ron referenced that I think many of us who suffer from addiction and, and human beings in general can relate to that feeling of something missing inside. There was a point when I think I was in the third grade that I remember waking up, um, I might have even been younger, but I woke up in my bed in the middle of the night crying, bawling in tears, and I called out for my mother and she came into my bedroom and said, what's wrong? I told her, I don't have any friends. Wow, wow. And then she said, what are you talking about? And she, began, she you know, continues to list off all the names of the friends that I have in school, everybody who knows me and cares mm -hmm. about me. And I, I, well, yeah, that makes sense. I, I do have friends, but there was something that didn't quite feel right. Even though I had people around me, there was still some connection that I was missing. And that was something that stayed with me for a, for a very long time. Yeah. Um, I went to school, uh, to, col uh, to college after, after high school for a couple of years. But again, I was not focused on that uh, proper direction. I guess proper is not the right word, but I had other motives and uh, <laughs> ideas about what I wanted to do with my life, right? Uh, so even though I was blessed with uh, a mind that could excel in academia, wow. I wouldn't put in the time and effort to, you know, make attendance uh, requirements. Wow. And eventually I ended up dropping out of school. I uh, also lost a relationship that I'd been in for three years as a result of my drinking, um, which had gotten progressively worse as yeah. uh, my path went further. And then something that really shook me was when I was about 23 years old, my father passed in a car accident wow. unexpectedly. Wow. Um, one day he was there, the next day he wasn't. Yeah. And that really rocked my world because my father was one of the most, one of and continues to be one of the people that inspired me the mm -hmm. most. Um, not just for what he did, but who he was. The way he lived his life with uh, a joy mm -hmm. and an, an ease. He, he flowed yeah. through life. And wow. it was something that I always aspired to replicate with. Yeah with my life. Yeah. Yeah. <clears throat> so those big three things, dropping out of school, losing a girlfriend, and losing my father. What time frame was that? This happened? was within six months. Six it was months. in really fast succession. Wow. And I, I was devastated, obviously, and I already had a, a tool, a crutch to lean on, which was alcohol. Yeah. Um, and that began, that went right off the deep end at that point. Um, yeah. I stayed with my mother for a while, uh, but there was no real connection with her. She and I grew apart, and it, it reached a point where I was 
belligerent, not just to her, but online. I, I, I'm a video gamer, so I would spend my entire day playing video games and drinking alcohol. Yeah. Um, and it was a miserable existence. I thought I was having the time of my life, because that's all I ever wanted to do, was yeah. play video yeah. games and you know, have yeah. fun. Yeah. But I would, um, <laughs> I was really suffering, and I didn't realize it at yeah. the time, but there there came a point when I had to stop drinking because I could feel the effect that it was having on my body. Mm. I was literally breaking inside. Yeah. Um, going through that first time when I quit drinking and the withdrawal, the detoxification effects was um, one of, that first time was one of the most painful experiences of my life, not just physically, but psychologically, emotionally. Yeah. Yeah. I'd never have, uh, had a panic attack before in my life, but three days into the, the detox without any sleep, mm. I went through my first panic attack and I literally felt like I was dying. Wow. There was terror. My, I was clutching my heart, feeling like I was gonna just keel over. Mm. And I found myself out on the, on the ground in front of where I was staying, mm. on my hands and knees and desperate for anything um, to help me. And I, I, I raised my hands up and I called out to anything yeah. or anyone that was out there that could help me, yeah. get me through this point in my life, help me, yeah. and I will dedicate my life wow. to understand you better, to sharing what I learn about you. Mm. And <clears throat> in the moment when I made that commitment, I felt an indescribable wave of relief and peace yeah. flood through my body. Yeah. The panic attack was removed, and it was the transformative moment of my life. If there's one point that yeah. I could pinpoint yeah. down, that, it, that was it. Yeah. It was my first direct experience with God, with the Spirit, yeah. and from that point on, the, the, the journey changed directions. Wow. I did... Uh, on occasion take my will back yeah. and went further down into the darkness yeah. but there was always when when i'm in control of my mind and making the right when i'm on the right path mm. it's always been about furthering my growth and my understanding of the spirit of god yeah. and coming to know him better okay that's awesome so what age were you when this when this moment happened that moment was about 25 or 26 25 and you're in california still. i was in california still yeah. okay so right after that happened i um the first step on the on the journey was to go to a treatment center to yeah. get to to get to an understanding of why yeah. i do the things that i do the detox you mentioned before was that your own self where you were just like i'm hurting so bad or did you go to a place for the detox that was me in my bed with nothing but my cat to get me <laughs> my best friend in the world best was friend. my cat at that okay. time um and uh, I, made the, I made the decision to go to a treatment center, okay. and that was in South Florida. I spent about six months down there. Um, I didn't follow suggestions. I got involved with a, with a girl that I was, you know, very fond of, yep. and she introduced me to the world of drugs, which was wow. a whole new thing for me. So yeah. 26, 27 years of my life, I had had no experience with that kind of thing. Yeah. And all of a sudden, we're, we're off to the races again. This is yeah. one point where I took my will back and said, I want to yeah. be in a relationship. Yep. I want to experience more of what life has to offer. Mm -hmm. And it, it was fun for maybe a month. 
but ultimately it brought me nothing but a lot of a lot more pain yeah. and a lot more darkness yeah, yeah. Um, she ended up uh, going back into treatment and I was left uh, sleeping in the back of a car in South Florida in the middle of the summer uh, with no cooling it was absolutely miserable yeah. sweating 24 hours a day um, with nothing but a plastic bottle of vodka to get me through it. Because um, <laughs> there's the answer. <laughs> so when we talk about yeah. misery, you know, yeah. there's all different levels of it, and that was a very physical, but there's emotional too. Yeah. Just uh, lost. Right. There's no other way to describe it, but lost. Yeah. I called out to my mother, who got in touch with my grandmother. Okay. Uh, my father was originally from Houston, Pennsylvania. My grandmother still lives there today. Uh, she's 90 years old. She's wow. still kicking, wow, uh, driving on. around, going to bridge games every two come times on. a week. Come on. So uh, <laughs> she's, she's inspiring to me, absolutely. Yeah. Um, she offered to let me come up and stay with her. Wow. I did about six months still drinking. I was not clean, but I uh, got a job, got an apartment, yeah. made the decision to bring the girl up from Florida to come live with me in the apartment. Wow. Once again, taking my will back yeah. off all the suggestions. This is the insanity that we talk about yeah. when we're going through this process mm. where it, when you look back on it, it's like, what was I thinking? Right. I, right. Anyway, that's what I did. And needless to say, I lost uh, my job. I lost my apartment and ultimately lost her mm. and ended up once again all alone, living in a car, yeah. this time in Pittsburgh and the surrounding area. You know, another place, but same story. Yeah. Um, so I ended up... Uh, Stuck in Charleroi, Manesson, with uh, in, <laughs> somebody knows. <laughs> what a good place, I guess. Right. <laughs> That's, uh, <laughs> from anyone from there, we're sorry. <laughs> this is where my uh, my addiction path pretty much ended, where the run came to an end. Uh, I was living in. Uh, uh, an abandonment. The condominium it was abandoned, you know, like a, like a, like a hotel, not hotel, but an apartment complex that had no power, no water, huh. in the middle of winter. Um, mm. This was in January um, of this year. Of this year of of eighteen. That's correct. And uh, I had to leave. I you know if somebody found out I was staying there and I had to leave. I had to spend one night on the street out there in the three feet of snow. It was in the middle of the, one of the biggest you know storms we had this Jeez. year. Um, I'd never actually had to be homeless without a vehicle or some kind of shelter, security, and especially in those kinds of conditions, nothing but a backpack with a, an extra pair of sweatpants and a, a blanket that I brought from my grandma's house, carrying it around, walking the streets uh, in the middle of the night. And I, I, I didn't know what to do. I, I had no idea what to do. I, I, called my mother and uh, she was able to connect me with the Washington City Mission. Um, but I didn't have a ride from Charlotte Reminiscent. and uh, Uber doesn't come out that far. And uh, I ended up going to the police station and sat there for about an hour. I, I talked to the, one of the officers initially and um, he said, you know, just hang out until you can find a ride. Well, I ended up sitting there for about an hour, hour and a half until they offered to give me a ride up here to Washington uh, City Mission where they had a bed for me. Wow. So I, I, I got a uh, first class escort. There you go. Uh, <laughs> this time without the handcuffs on. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Absolutely. Front seat, back seat. Back seat still, yeah. But uh, 
it was nice to not have the bracelets on. Wow. So uh, that's that's what brought me into the city mission program was wow. was uh, a lot of suffering, a lot of pain. Um, today, I I recognize the necessity of going through that. Uh, I'm grateful to call myself an addict mm -hmm. and being in recovery yeah. because had I not taken the path that I'd been on, yeah. I would not have come to the understanding that I have today. Um, it really took losing everything, destroying my body, destroying my relationships. Everything was stripped from me. Yeah. And I came to that point and realized I still have myself. I am still me. Yeah. There's nothing truly lost. There's only the spirit within. Mm. And coming to that recognition of, I, you know, I'm not my body. Mm. I'm not anything physical. Mm. I am something greater. I'm a part of something greater. Mm. Enabled me Come to on. recognize that that's what we all share in common. Come on. Come on. And this is where the community aspect comes into play. Yeah. We, in addition, come from all walks of life, yeah. from the highest points to the lowest points and everywhere in between. Yeah. But when we come into a place like the City Mission, when we go to a meeting together, it's about recognizing what we have in common yeah. instead of what we have yeah. separate. Yeah. yeah, that's all. It's recognizing that we are all a part of the same spirit. We're yeah. all derived from the same source. Yeah. And when we come to that realization, yeah. we not only have love for each other, but for ourselves. Come on. It's that's only cool. once we find that yeah. love for ourselves yeah. and acceptance and forgiveness of where we were and what we did yeah. that we can begin to love everyone else around us. Yeah, yeah. That's and that's what's truly special about being at the Washington City Mission mm -hmm. is that there is an atmosphere of love. Yeah. The spirit moves through that place. Yeah. It only took me a couple weeks to recognize wow. how powerful it was there. But I have been so blessed yeah. and uh, filled with gratitude ever since I came to that recognition. Yeah. Um, there's something truly special that goes on there. When Ron talks about family, it could not be a truer statement. Some yeah. of the relationships we formed are closer than blood relatives come on, come on. because we, we come to a maturity, not physically or mentally, but spiritually. Yeah. We find who we are and come what on. we're meant to do in this place. Yeah. And going through that together with, with our brothers um, just brings about a closeness that can't be compared Thank with. Thank you so much. Hey, well, can we just give a round of applause? Thank you, Father. I mean, just hearing these stories, these are people that didn't not know God, right? They had good parents, good upbringings. Like they had everything together, yet the thing they were missing was the relationship with God this way. You know, every time it's like, you know, I knew all the right things, the doctrine, I was told all the right things. And, you know, as a value of our church, experience is our biggest value. Everything flows through that. You know, any message that we preach, anything we have in worship, we want to encounter God because we believe that He's a living God, that we can have an interaction with Him. And even more special, I think, when it comes to family gathering together, we can do it by ourselves. But there's something about a spiritual blessing that comes upon when the people of God gather together. We've all got addiction problems. Whether it's your phone, whether it's food. It's just sometimes we think that the drug and alcohol, you know, that's the bad one. 
But actually, we've all got issues inside of us. Our vices are just different. And some manifest more than others. I'm interested even with uh, Ron's story. I've, I've noticed more and more with this issue that when we have food addictions, we do the food band idea. Cut the food out. We don't solve the psychological issue. Just moves on to something else. And so we've got to make sure that we are aware of that. But love it that when they found family together. And actually, I want it for you to share just a bit about that. What is it? Just some things about the community. So think about your past communities, because I know, Ron, we've even shared about that, what it was to be a drug addict community. They think they're in community, but really they're not. What, how does it differ, the communities that you were before, to this community? And I know that Ryan's already touched on some things, but for you, what, what do you think about Washington, this place? Like I said, I, I grew up in a wonderful family, but my... Let's, yeah, let's use that mic. Okay. We'll oh, yeah, there we go. There we we're go. back on. We're back on. Testing. Dr. Phil, <laughs> I am. Um, now, I, going through the addiction process, and I say, I say that it's so much more than just a process, but yeah. people that you thought were friends and family were just around you because you had money or you had the drugs. It wasn't, nobody cared about you at all. And when you didn't have drugs, they didn't care if you were on the planet. Yeah. Um, so the process and the change is amazing to me. When, when I stepped my, when I walked into the city mission, it, it, you have a whole walk of life there, just like Ryan talked about. There's guys that don't want to do anything. It's a place to sleep, and I'm leaving as soon as I find a place to go. And then there's people that were completely broken. It's like, I'm going to give this a chance. Let's see what we could do. Let's see where it takes me. And those folks with an open mind, it's an amazing place to be. Um, I found people just like me. When I said, man, I, I, I could really, I, I'm having this desire to go find some, some heroin right now. And I looked at somebody and they, lo they look at me and go, yeah, I know what you're saying. <laughs> Not somebody saying, are you crazy? Yeah. You know, it's to be able to share that where your mind goes sometimes when that loneliness creeps in um, and to be able to talk to somebody that's walked through that with you. And there's people that have had substantial clean time and, and a change of heart that when you say something, you're not looked at like you're crazy, you know? Um, it's been an amazing place. You know, I have, I, I work in, we all have jobs in the mission. You know, it's not a place where you go sleep. Yeah. Um, we have work duties and work uh, therapy. There's classes that we're required to take that, you know, it, people sneak through them and the ones that sneak through them are the ones you see struggling. Um, and they're all Bible-based and Christian-based, and it's, there's some amazing conversations and some wonderful conversations with the guys that are in the groups. Um, but uh, I, the work therapy, I was blessed to be working up in the office, you know, so I work with most of the staff every day, you know, so I get, it's constant. You can hear the love in the conversations. Yeah. But, you know, when I come back, I get pa we get passes when, you know, there for a while, and, and I've been re I reconnected with my family, my brothers, and it's been amazing. But when I come back, these guys are saying, how was your weekend? How did you, what did you do? You know, and when I'm talking and I'm saying, I went swimming with my brothers, and his wife actually asked me to watch her kids. Wow. wow. And they look at me and go, I remember 60 days, it was Easter. 60 days was my clean day around Easter time, and... I was wanting to go home and spend it with my family, and she said he's not clean enough. I don't know what that means, other than I took a shower. But uh, <laughs> she just said I don't want him in my home, yeah. you know. 
And I, I know where she was coming from. I was just joking. But now I'm babysitting. And um, I get emotional about that because I'm being taken to family functions. And wow. my brother, they're not, he's remarried. So these girls are not blood relatives, but they call me Uncle Ron. I want to hang out with me. And her sister's kids want me to swim and hang out with them. And... Uh, it's just amazing how things get restored, yeah. you know. But the community there has been the beginning. When I come back and I feel like, you know, it's like my kids are asking. I'm old, so I walk in and my kids are asking me how my day was. It's really cool, you know. <laughs> and uh, they ask my opinion. And um, I try to let guys that are younger know that you don't have to wait till you're 54 years old to get it. You know, that you, there's so much life out there that if you just can realize that it's not all about the stuff you accumulate, yeah. you know, yeah. it's about the, the people that you meet. It's the relationships. If I work on the vertical, he handles the horizontal. Come on. You know, that's and that's how I feel. My relationships with my family, I haven't done anything. I'm a, I was a car salesman. I could sell you all day long on buying this car that has 180,000 miles on it. And that's what I did in my recovery process. I'm clean, I'm going to meetings, I'm doing this. And I would say that to my family, oh yeah, sure you are. And until I lived it, until I changed it, until I didn't say anything. I don't say anything, I just, I'm hanging out with them and they see it. They see the changes. I don't have to sell anybody. I'm not selling you a car or a warranty today unless you want one I can hook up. <laughs> but I, I'm but um. Seriously, I, you know, when the change is inside, you don't have to sell anybody anything. Yeah, they'll see it. In, they'll see it in your actions and your words. And I try really hard to carry myself to a standard when I'm walking through the mission. You know that I don't buy into the baloney, and uh, I don't listen to the negativity. And the negativity I walk away from, and I hang around with guys like him that um, we talk and share and. I'm going to say this if I can. Um, God cleans up the outside, too, because when I met this guy, I'm like, man, he's rough. rough. But uh, <laughs> he had hair down to his neck, down to his back. Are serious? And, and, I, and you don't even need Rogaine because God grew his hair on the top because he was bald on the top and now he's got hair. Yeah. So <laughs> it's just amazing. You know, I mean, so I, I didn't I, have 140, 140 pounds, uh, hair down to my shoulders. Yeah. Uh, All on the back, not on the, not on the top. And, yeah. You know, yeah. We, we get blessed every, there's so many wonderful people that volunteer and, and yeah. come and give. And it's wonderful to be here to give back. Yeah. And I mean that from my heart. Um, because we get, there's people that walk in there that don't have anything to give everything. And um, we get taken for haircuts at Stevens Hair Graphics once a month. I couldn't afford that when I was there, when I was making money. Mm -hmm. and. They take a whole van load and we get haircuts and things and, and just amazing people that come in there and give their time and cook for us and want to serve us. You know, I want to serve them because I'm very thankful for what I've been given and very grateful. You know, I want to go out and wash with their car or something just to say thank you, you know, and um, I we get served food that is amazing, you know, people that donate stuff that I can't, and I was eating prime rib and I'm sitting in the mission thinking to myself, I'm eating prime rib. Yeah. You know, somebody donated prime rib, you know, 
and we're treated like human beings and, and gentlemen. You it's know, good as human beings. Yeah. Very grateful. Yeah, that's awesome. For you, Ryan. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, one of the things that I've noticed about the treatment center um, industry um, is that it's very much about the bottom dollar. Yeah. Uh, the the companies themselves are concerned with turnover, getting people in and out the door. They're concerned about kickbacks from prescription drug companies, from uh, physicians' facilities. Um, it's all about it's all about the money. Yeah. Now, the people who are working in the facilities typically come from our walk of life. There are people that have been through recovery and are now trying to give back. Yeah. They're getting taken advantage of as well for the amount of time that they invest and what the, the amount that they're paid in return. Yeah. Yeah. So it's it's um, it's inspiring to see those people, but also uh, it feels like they're fighting against the odds because everything else in the treatment center industry is just working against us. They want to keep us sick wow. because that's how they keep us, that's how they keep making money, right? Yeah. yeah. Um, the thing that's, one of the things, many things that's special about City Mission is that it is a nonprofit institution. Yes. It is spiritually based. So not, a, not only is there something real and tangible about the recovery that connects into the recovery, everybody who's there wants to be there because they care about us. They're not in it for the money, yeah, you know? Yeah, yeah. <clears throat> so I have noticed that among the staff, there are a few in particular, but for the most part, everyone there um, just shines yeah. with, with the spirit. They radiate light and love and that gets um, reflected in the rest of the residents, the people who are open to receiving that. Yeah. Um, and their, you know, their energy kind of uh, affects the rest of us and brings the whole institution up as a whole. Yeah. It's something that you don't get in a state-run facility, in a private insurance-run faci right. funded facility. Um, this is a place where people come to share the heart, the, the, the spirit, the word of God, because they want to see the transformation in Come their lives, yes. and yes. they believe that it works. Amen. That's awesome. Well, can we give them a round of applause? Thank you so much, guys. So we're going to transition just in a, a time of communion, because I love this passage in Luke 22, 14, 15. Jesus, before he's about to go to the cross, has a meal. And it says, when the hour came, Jesus and his apostles reclined at the table and he said to them, I eagerly desire to eat this Passover before I suffer. And what a powerful moment that is that, I don't know, we, we, we hear about it. There's, there's a lot of us that are suffering. There's a lot of us that are broken. And how many of us want to come together in the suffering? And so I just think it's one of these most amazing moments that, yeah, it's remembrance of Jesus, but I believe there's something more powerful in the communion that comes together to remind us that even in Jesus' suffering, in our own suffering, we can come together for God to do something new in and through us. And it's through the community of coming together that we can suffer 
together. But there's light and there's life that comes forth in dwelling together. In honest, vulnerable, real relationships. Authenticity is what I love about uh, City Mission. That these guys, yeah, they're not putting on a show. They're in it for the, for the long haul. And, it's, and there's just amazing relationships. I bumped into Doug yesterday in Pittsburgh. He was doing a wedding. And uh, Doug's one of the leaders there. Phenomenal guy. We'll get him in, I'm sure, to share some of his stuff. Um, but yeah, this is what it's about, guys. Like, it's about realness. And it's about loving one another and allowing God to love us, be authentic. So I want to hand over to Pastor Craig as we just transition into communion together.